the new channel. The new channel. Hashtag TNC now. The views, opinions, and insights expressed in the following shows are those of the host, producers, guests, and viewers. They do not necessarily reflect the position of the channel. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the new channel. Our passion transforms the community that sees all things new. I'm Jennifer Nuya, live streaming from Cavita, Philippines. You're watching Stories from the Fringe, Season 2, Episode 16. Let us know that you can hear me well by typing into the comment section where you are joining us from today. And you can also use the same chat box to drop in your comments, ask, ask questions, or just anything that you would like to share with us. We will also drop links from time to time that you can copy for later use or click on. For those of you who are tuning in with us for the first time, Stories from the Fringe aims to promote for more diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in all aspects of our lives. We are committed to creating a world where individual differences like race, gender, class, ability, among others, are not only seen and understood, but also celebrated and empowered. We believe that we can all be a part of this collective vision. In order to um, make the most of our time together, we encourage you to turn off all distractions and prepare to take notes, mental and remain engaged or focused with our guest today. Today, I am thrilled to um, introduce in our show today the brilliant Bart Ramos. Bart Ramos is from Singapore and he is an economist entrepreneur. As such, he works with entrepreneurs. Bart uses the methods and tools from the Austrian uh, School of Economics. Bart, welcome to the show. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Bart. It's nice to reconnect again. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. We are thrilled. Um, dear viewers, Bart is General Bruce to share with us a taste of his full uh, online program entrepreneur new what it is all about so as um to to prepare our viewers to what we um to what you will share bart 
can you please provide us a brief background of your um, of what you do? All right. So um, I'm I'm from Singapore, but I'm not really from Singapore. I am based in Singapore, but originally I'm from Europe, from continental Europe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I work with entrepreneurs all over the world, and I explain them economics. Now, economics is a very uh, bizarre subject, and the way I explain economics to these entrepreneurs is through mental models. And a mental model is a, a little model that you have in your head, and that allows you uh, to see things that other people might not notice in other ways. In the talk that I'm going to, to do today, I'm going to explain five mental models uh, to your audience that entrepreneurs can use so that they can make better and smarter and faster decisions. Wow, that's wonderful. I believe that a lot of people um, those who are already entrepreneurs or just thinking of jumping into entrepreneurship will learn a lot today. So take it away, bye. All right, okay. And um, I have prepared a couple of slides. Um, if you can um, show these slides. Um, correct, yeah. And there are in total um, 15 slides, one five slides, just to make sure that uh, I'm not going to overload you with uh, too, many, too many things. Yeah. Um, so the Economics is actually something that is, is, is very, uh, that has a, ve a very bad perception. Yeah? Uh, because when you open a newspaper or you watch television or you listen to these economists, wherever they are talking, it seems that they are living in a different world and they come from a different planet. And uh, then you ask yourself, what can I do with this for my business? And trust, uh, trust you, I went through the same process because I studied economics at university and I wanted to understand how the world works. And when I came out of that university, I had no clue. So that was like, whoops, what is this here? So the perception that people have from economics is that it doesn't make common sense and everything is put into mathematical formula, uh, but that people in the real world when they do business, basically they don't use it. So I created my own little formula, which you can see on this uh, slide, which is common sense plus economics is smaller than common sense. Which means that uh, when economists start talking about how the world should work, I mean, like, it doesn't make common sense at all. And I took, uh, I put two pictures, uh, black and white pictures of um, on this slide. Um, the man on the right, um, his name is Nassim Taleb. And Nassim Taleb is a very clever man. Um, he is an options trader. And after the crash of uh, 2008, the housing crash in the US, um, nobody saw that coming. Yet he saw that coming. He's an engineer by training. And he wrote a book, and that book is uh, titled The Black Swan. And uh, one of the things he says is he says, there's a lot of tolerance for nonsense in economics. He says, if, if an engineer builds a bridge and the bridge collapses, the engineer will build a new bridge. On the other hand, if an if if the bridge collapses, an economist simply will spin a story on why it should not have collapsed. So uh, that makes that, that makes to me a lot of sense because there are a lot of, 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 of strange things that happen in economics. The, the man on the left uh, is someone that you uh, most likely will never have heard of. His name is Gaston Askins. 
And so he uh, eventually became the prime minister of Belgium, my country of origin. And um, he was also an economist and he was teaching economics. He was the, the head of the economics department in the 1950s at uh, the University of Leuven, which is a famous university on the Belgian, on the European continent. And every year he started his speech uh, by addressing the students. And he said something along the lines of, young ladies and gentlemen, economics is the study of three things, land, labor, and capital. And all the people that participate in the market, they compete with each other to have as much of land, labor, and capital as possible. And then he said, there is only one big thing that nobody competes for, because everybody believes that they have enough of it. So, and that's very scarce thing that people do not compete for, that is the common sense. And I believe that is spot on, because there is, there is a lot of uncommon sense that is taking place in economics. And let me give you just one little example. Um, these days we live in that area of um, high inflation. So where did, it, did that inflation all of a sudden come from? US record inflation um, is creeping down to Singapore here. Um, Europe, you have inflation. I'm sure in, in all places of the world, yeah, you, have, you have that inflation, which means the prices go up. Now, economists, they will say, wait a minute, um, it is good that prices go up, not too much, not by 8% or 9%, but 1% or 2% is good. So I don't know why that it is good, because uh, that means that the price of bread or eggs should go up every year by 1% or 2%. I have no clue why that would be good for you or for me, but that's what they say. On the other hand, they say if prices go down, that is very bad, because then the economy flushes down like water in a toilet. Okay, all right. I don't agree with that. But likewise, they say inflation is important, but they also say, and productivity is very important. So um, what is productivity? That is making things faster, smarter, with less input, with less energy. And when you do that, you can lower the prices of your things. So on one hand, they say prices should go up. And on the other hand, they say, hey, wait a second, prices should go down. Now, that doesn't make sense. That's uncommon sense. So what shall it be, up or down? So that's like, and when you ask that to an economist, that's a very annoying question. So then they, 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 they shrink a little bit together. So when we go to the next slide, um, the next slide, let me see if I can go to the next slide, which I apparently can, but if you're at me, yes, I, the next slide is um, the story of economic ideas. So um, for some sort of reason, that slide doesn't, show well on the screen here, but the title is The Story of Economic Ideas. And so uh, the reason I bring that up, this is a summary of all these economic theories that have been developed over the past 250 years. We obviously are not going to go through that. Yeah. But the thing with ideas is that um, there is a psychoanalyst um, who came from Vienna. His name is Carl Jung. And he said something, he said, People don't have ideas. Ideas have people. And that is a very strong statement. So I repeat, people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. And so uh, to, to explain this slide, the story of economic ideas in, in say three minutes time, two minutes time, um, over the ages, people always have been doing business 
trading, exchanging, buying, selling. The old Egyptians with the pyramids, the Romans, the Greeks, the, in the Middle Ages, uh, people always have been buying and selling stuff. It's only around the, the, the years 1600, 1500, that uh, people started really uh, becoming interested in, in these things. And that is uh, where, especially in modern Italy, um, in, the, in the years of Shakespeare with Romeo and Juliet and uh, that those, those kind of stories, there were a couple of rich traders. And the kings and the queens, they noticed that. And they said, hey, what, what do we do here? How, how can I also become rich as a king? So these traders, these business guys, um, they were merchants. Uh, the French word is marchand. And the Italian word is mercante. So that's why it's called mercantilism. And what they said is they said, oh, sire or king or prince, in order to become rich, you export as much as possible because then people have to pay you in gold. You do not import at all because then you lose gold. And what you also do is you, you go and conquer the world to find some gold mines and stuff, stuff like that. So the more gold you have, the happier your life. Now, that's actually nonsense. And so... That was the start a couple of years after that from the classical economists. And that started in the year 1776. The reason why I mentioned that year 1776 is because uh, there was one philosopher who came up with a book, and that book is titled um, The Wealth of Nations. Okay. Uh, I'll show you a copy of that book here, old book. Um, and that was actually the start of economics as we know it today, written by a philosopher, the year 1776. And that's exactly the same year that um, America declared independence from UK. They said, hey guys, bugger off, we, we become independent. We have enough of your rubbish. So that year, start of economics, same start of the USA. Right? And so um, what that book is all about um, is, uh, he says, it's not gold that makes you rich. You can have all the gold in the world, but if you sit on an island with bananas and coconuts, you're going to have a miserable life. What makes you really rich and what makes an economy rich is the production of goods and services and how to, to trade that, how to exchange that. That book is also famous for um, the term the invisible hand. Now, the invisible hand actually is uh, that's the invisible hand of the market that steers the market and who's doing what. Uh, but that, uh, that thing appears only once in this book. There's only one time he mentions that. And yet, for some sort of reason, everybody remembers that. Then, a couple of years later, in around 1870, is the start of neoclassical economics. Um, and that really changed the world. And um, I'm not going to, to tell you yet why that is, but it applies to business. And that is one of the mental models that you will see. It turned economics upside down around 1870, 1870. And then, um, around the, the 1920s, 1930s, economics split up in uh, four schools of economics. So you have the Marxist school, the Keynesian school from Cambridge, the monetary school from Chicago, and the Austrian school from Vienna. In a nutshell, the difference between these four is Marx is what they do in, or used to do in Soviet Union, uh, communist China, North Korea. Uh, it doesn't work. Keynesian economics is um, the government needs to step in with the economy, uh, needs to spend money. The government needs to set interest rates, print money, and all that kind of stuff. The reason is that we have to create jobs uh, for everybody. 
So that's politicians love that. They say, hey guys, um, I'm going to vote for me. I'm going to create 10,000 jobs, 20,000 jobs. Never ask what type of jobs that will be. But as long as people have work, say, 1,000 people dig a hole in the ground and another 1,000 fill it up. That means 2,000 people have work, 2,000 people have income, and yes, great. That theory has zero uh, interest in entrepreneurs. The next school is the monetary school from Chicago. A person that loved that school from Chicago is President Ronald Reagan. The, the most important person in that school is Milton Friedman. And Milton Friedman, Nobel Prize winner, 1976, very short guy, um, but he transformed economics and back to free markets. And so he said, no, 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 we have to have free markets. The only thing that the government needs to do is when the economy grows at, say, 3%, the government needs to add an extra 3% of money to the economy to make sure that the prices remain stable. If the economy goes up with 5%, we need to add 5% more money. So that's in a nutshell what he says. For the rest, stay away from the economy. Let people do what they want to do. You can see a lot of very good videos from Milton Friedman on YouTube. So you cannot not like this guy. Yet I'm, I'm not a monetary economist or a Chicago economist. So what I do is I use the theories from the Austrian School of Economics. And that comes from Vienna. Um, and that started around 1870. And that is one of the things where neoclassical economics started. And so what these Austrians say is they say, the government doesn't need to do anything, uh, stay away from the economy, only make sure that there is a good police force, that there is a decent army, that there is a rule of law, that there is private property, etc. But rest hands off, as well as hands off from uh, money. Stay away from money. People will sort it out for themselves. And these Austrians, they say that entrepreneurs have a fundamental role in the economy. And so they have a lot of insights about entrepreneurs and how that relates to economics and the economy. So the next slide, um, there you see, uh, what shall I do as an entrepreneur? Okay. Because there are so many different theories in economics. Uh, how do you make sense out of it? And how does the world work? And how can I use that so that it benefits my, my business? And for that, um, I start with a bit of philosophy on that slide. And you see um, some sort of a space guy floating around in space. And I came up with that idea from reading a short uh, little book. On, it's a very thin book. It's only 20 or 30 pages. And it's called um, Philosophy Who Needs It. And that's written by, um, it's a speech. And it's written by um, a lady, and her name is Ayn Rand. And um, she's a controversial, controversial figure. She's a philosopher and a very good writer. She's famous for two books. One book is The Fountainhead. It's about an architect uh, who blows up his own building. They turn it into a movie. Um, I recommend that you watch the movie or read the book. And then she wrote a second book, um, Atlas Shrugged. And she lived in the 19... She's from Russia. She migrated to the US in the 1930s, uh, worked as a scriptwriter in Hollywood, went to New York, etc., and then wrote all these books. And you also can see interviews of her in the 1950s, 1960s. A uh, short story about her, uh, Alan Greenspan, the famous uh, chairman of the US Federal Reserve, he was a student of her, but she didn't like him. 
she, she thought he was a bit of a strange guy. And she called him the undertaker uh, because he was always wearing black suits. But um, the reason I bring that up is um, in 1974, she gave a speech to um, young officers that came out of the famous officer school in US. I forgot the name of it. Uh, the name is where US uh, trains all the officers. Name escapes me, um, but she, she attended these young military guys and she said, um, I'm not um, a military person, but I'll teach you something about philosophy. And so the 70s was a the age of the Apollo with the rockets. Okay, we were going to conquer the moon. And she said, imagine that you sit in a rocket and you um, fly with your spaceship and all of a sudden you have a problem and you crash on a planet. Um, after a while, you see that you survived, uh, that you're not too hurt, hurt too much. What you're going to do is you're going to ask three questions. The first question is, where am I? The second one is, how do I know it? And the third question is, what should I do? And then she elaborates further on that. And she says, most people, they just live their life from day to day. They don't ask, where am I? What am I actually doing? Uh, how do I know what I'm, doing with my, what I'm doing with my life? What should I do? And eventually, they get lost in a nine-to-five job. So that's what happens to most people. And I bring this up because this thing, actually, these three questions, they relate to entrepreneurship. Where am I? And that is a question like, where do I belong in this big world economy? So what, what, what role do I play there? The next question is, how do I know this? How do I make sense out of all these economic, economic theories, out of all these uh, impossible to understand economic indicators? Uh, they write thick books about these economic indicators, like, like this one. It's a very good book. Uh, it's titled The Secrets of Economic Indicators. Yeah. So how do I make sense out of all this stuff? Uh, like, uh, do I really need to be smart of it? And then what actually should I do with my business? And so um, these are the questions that you should ask. And uh, I'll give you five mental models uh, to talk about this, uh, to, to figure out uh, where you are, what you should do, and um, how, do you, how do you know it? Which brings us then to the next slide. Um, these mental models, um, one person that really believes in these mental models, that is the man on the picture that you see here. And I wrote Sledom Latnum. Um, and Sledom Latnum, that is an anagram for mental models. So a mental model, now I told you that it's uh, Sledom Latnum, that, that means mental models, you will not forget it anymore. And the man that you see there is uh, Charlie Munger. And Charlie Munger, he is the business partner of Warren Buffett. And Charlie Munger, he says, you need to have these mental models. He believes you need to have about 100 mental models in your head from different fields of, of, of science and, and history and philosophy, etc. And then you look at the world and you will understand things that, you, that others don't see. A classic example of a mental model is the 80-20 rule. Um, if you haven't heard of that, that means 80% of your success comes from 20% of your inputs. If you have a sales team, for example, you can say that or imagine that 20% 20 20 of your sales guys will generate 80% of your revenue. So you can apply that to, to many different things. So that's a mental model. But I will teach you five other mental models. 
which brings us to um, where am I in the world? Okay, in the world economy. And so this slide um, with these blue squares and the gray squares with the title, The Economy, that is a very ambitious slide that I developed. And that represents the world economy. So like, if you think that I'm a bit nuts, like how can this represent the world economy? Nobody can make a diagram of the, of the world economy because it's very complex. Things always change, they are change, changing. The minute we talk now, the price of oil will have changed. Ships will not be in the same position anymore. Uh, some people will be hired. Many businesses will be set up and other businesses will be bank declared bankrupt in the, in the minute that I say this. So you cannot make a plan you can never draw all that stuff. So that, that whole economy is, is, is dynamic. But the way it works, and this is an important mental model, everything in the economy is steered towards consumption. And consumption are these blue squares that you see on top of the slide. So that this is the final consumption. What is final consumption? Uh, very simple. I have a cup of coffee here with me. I drink a cup of coffee and I consume the coffee. And after that, the cup of coffee is gone. So that is, uh, other people will say, oh, um, I like to go to the movies, or I like to have a meal in a restaurant, or I like to buy a car, um, or I like to go on a holiday. That is everything steered towards final consumption. So what you see, the demand for all production in the world, that is the arrow on the right side that goes down. It's not really clear on the slide that you, as you see, um, but everything that people do is eventually steered towards final consumption. That cup of coffee that I have here, that is actually a very simple product, but it's what you put in that cup of coffee is um, you have grains, coffee beans, um, and these coffee beans they start growing somewhere in say in Africa, I think, or in in India or in Brazil, and that's a uh, a farmer who is growing these coffee beans. He doesn't know why, but what he knows is that when he has coffee beans, another person, a wholesaler, that's the, the, the second line from the bottom uh, in, in the gray fields, he will say, I buy your coffee beans, because he knows that he can sell, sell it to someone who will grind the coffee beans. And the grinder will be able to sell it to someone who puts it on a ship to put it, say, to US or to Europe to add some flavor, mocha flavor or whatever and then that goes to another person another wholesaler etc etc until eventually um, it lands up in your kitchen in, a, in the form of coffee powder or in a starbucks coffee shop whatever and people consume it but the minute people don't want coffee anymore that whole demand for coffee beans and grinding and adding flavor that whole production process will stop so that simple cup of coffee that you have is actually very complex stuff and along the lines, in all these different stages of production, there's always a businessman, an entrepreneur, who figures out, I can do this better than somebody else. And I make a bit of profit and loss out of it. And it's not only the coffee, but when you have a cup of coffee, I also put in a, a coffee spoon. So you need to make a coffee spoon. Plus, what you also have to do is, you need to have the actual cup. That's another product. So that simple cup of coffee that you drink is very, very complex. Now, compare that, to, say, to... Um, an, an Airbus A380, that big machine that flies around, that's an even more complex product. So the reason I bring that up is that everything that's produced in this world economy 
a lawyer that makes a contract, a lady that goes for a haircut, a farmer that grows coffee bean, etc. All that is eventually steered towards final consumption. So the, the production is the line on the left side that goes up from the bottom, from raw materials, commodities, up to final consumption. And they do that because at the top there is demand and that demand goes all the way down. That is how the world economy works. Yeah? So that's an important mental model that you need to know. And a second, um, mental, a second thing that you need to know is you have these entrepreneurs. And what you do with entrepreneurs, how a business actually works. Um, every business has three components. So I'm an entrepreneur, and those of you who are also entrepreneurs, uh, you create a business, and you have three components. And you see these three circles. The first one is you. That's me, myself, and I. Okay? The second one is your business. So you create a business, which means you develop a product, you rent office space, you hire people, um, you buy uh, inputs, you buy ink, or you buy coffee beans, or whatever, okay, and you do something with it. And then the third thing is your customers. That's the most important thing, because if nobody buys your stuff, you go bankrupt. Yeah? And so this entrepreneur, he actually has to make decisions. That's mm -hmm. the most important job of the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur has to work on the business. Do not work in the business. Sometimes you see these entrepreneurs who say, I'm very busy, I have to do my bookkeeping, and I have to switch on and off the lights, and then I need to bring the coffee around. That's rubbish. Okay? You don't make money like that. You have to make decisions about marketing, about innovation, and about strategy. Um, strategy is something that you have to come up with. Okay? And then you eventually have to make the decision. Innovation is something that takes place in your business. That is the, the people in your team that come up with ideas and then to create a new product and then you need to make sure that shall we go ahead with it, yes or no. Marketing is how you reach out to your customers. No marketing, no customers. It's as simple as that. Many people say, I'm, I have a great product. I invented something. I'm going to do that and yes, it works. Now I'm going to sit at home and people will find me and they will knock on my door and they will buy my product. And then I will have a huge queue standing in front of my door waiting to buy my product. Hello, wake up, it doesn't work like that. As an entrepreneur, you need to know marketing. No marketing, no sales. You need to come up with strategy. You need to come up with innovation. So that's what, these are the decisions around which entrepreneurs need to work. Forget about the bookkeeping, forget about um, the hiring of people, whatever. So you have to focus on marketing, innovation, and strategy. The famous business guru, um, Peter Drucker, he said, in a business, you have to focus on marketing and innovation. That's the only things that bring money to the business. Everything else is a cost. The current business guru, Jay Abrahams, that's the guy he, he asks, 100,000 US a day. He says, Peter Drucker is right, uh, but you need to add strategy to that as well. So that is um, how companies actually basically function. In MBA programs, they teach you about business planning and uh, other stuff. Forget about all that. Don't plan too much. Um, you need to understand how you're going to reach your customers, and how you are going to come up with innovative ideas 
and how you come up with, with, with strategy. Don't have time to go in, into these things, but that's part of my, uh, my, my online, my, my programs and my online programs. The next thing that you have to do, um, yeah, we are going to uh, talk about a very important element in economics that relates to your business. And that is value is subjective. There is no such thing as value. Value is in the head of every man and woman. I like it because I like it a lot. Or I like it a lot or I don't like it at all. So I wrote here a text in French that says les goûts et les couleurs ne se discutent pas. That means taste and colors are not open for discussion. In example, I like red or I like blue. Why? I don't know. It's subjective. I just like it. Or I like to work as a, as a butcher or I like to work as a lawyer. All these things are subjective. There is no such thing as intrinsic value in economics. And that is something that was discovered by these three guys that you see on the slide. And um, that was discovered around 1870. And that turned economics from classic into neoclassic. And that's very important for entrepreneurs to understand. You need to create a product or a service or buy a product of a service that you sell at a certain price that the customer wants to pay. If the customer wants to pay $5 for my cup of coffee, so to speak, then it's my job to make sure that I can produce it at $3 or $5 or $4. I cannot go to the customer and say, do you know how much it costs me to produce that? It costs me $8, so you, you have to pay me $10. It doesn't work like that. If you produce in set up your business in that way, forget it, you're out of business. So value is subjective and it's your role as entrepreneur to produce something at a price that is lower, that costs lower than what your customer wants to pay. I believe that right now we have to take a, a short break and um, I'm looking forward to coming you back, to see you back for the next four mental models. All right. Thank you, Bart. So we'll go now for a short break. Welcome to Strata Results, where we take a partnership approach to ensuring that your business processes, chosen technology, people and information are aligned to support your business. Strata Results, partnering for your success.
Social media can be overwhelming for entrepreneurs and business owners, and Alan actually struggles with daily content that converts sales. But don't fret, Rise Up Creatives Worldwide is here to help you with daily customizable captions, exclusive photos, and an easy-to-use design studio, all in one digital platform. Plus, monthly masterclasses to help you grow your business with just five minutes of investment each day. Join us today. It's time to rise up and be creative. TNC is a live live stream platform of online shows for people on the go. Please watch all our shows as seen on screen. Imagine having your own show, your own playlist, your own content, but we make it easier for you. TNC aims to transform the lives of our viewers through engaging authentic and original content. Our vision is to become a 24-7 live stream channel that showcases Filipino talent, global influencers, cultural intelligence, and ingenuity. Of course, please remember to watch Stories from the Fringe, live streamed every Thursday, 10.30 to 11.30 p.m. a.m. every Thursday. You can watch live or on replay via Facebook or YouTube. Follow us on IG, listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search hashtag TNC now. For sponsorships, please email now at thenewchannel.com or send us a DM. Enjoy these life-changing shows because we made them for you. Before we went on a short break, Bart Remes has uh, been able to give us a brief overview of the history of economics, and that was a lot to unpack. He also shared with us the four pillars of um, economics as we know it. So well, let's welcome again, Bart. Yes, hi. Hello, Bart. Again. So before we continue, I have just one question. So you mentioned earlier that something about communism that is not working, right? But there's this one research by PricewaterCoopers that made a prediction. So in that prediction, he said uh, it says that by 2030, it is predicted that there are several countries that will be the superpowers. So number one at the top is China, only followed by, by India. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, U.S. is just fourth or fifth. So if what uh, we said earlier, communism is not working, so how is it that PricewaterCoopers has that prediction? Okay, um, because it's a wrong prediction. It's as simple as that. Um, it's very difficult to look into the future. Um, okay. I have, when I work with people, with entrepreneurs in India, I'm very, very impressed with the quality of these entrepreneurs. And India is a very big country. Mm -hmm. um, China, one billion plus people. China, they also have one billion plus people. And these predictions from uh, guys like Price, Cooper, Waterhouse, or what, what have you not, uh, they look at certain economic indicators. Mm -hmm. And what they say is they will say, oh, you have um, GDP, the gross domestic product. And that GDP that is composed of five elements. Yeah? Mm -hmm. 
The first element is the consumption in a country. The second element is the um, investment that a country makes. The third one is the spending by the government. And then the fourth one is the exports that you do. And then the last one is the minus one is the imports that you do. And so what all these guys say, they, they look at that formula and they say, see US, um, they do not spend a lot of uh, investment. Only 10% of their uh, GDP is on investment. But when you look at China, it's 70% of their GDP is on investment. And that's correct. But what you can do is that's just numbers. You can look at tons of investments and I can make hundreds of investments, but there are also a lot of wrong investments in China that take place. You all have seen all these pictures of these ghost cities that are all there. All that is part of the GDP of China. It's mm -hmm. all these ghost cities and many other things they do is just a waste of time and space. So mm -hmm. forget about it. What you also have now is that the government in China, they become more and more interfering again uh, with, 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 the, uh, with the entrepreneurs. They start making life difficult for, for, for these entrepreneurs. To me, that doesn't bode very well. And then they have also the issue with the one-child policy. So, I mean, like, the, the population is declining, but what you also have in China is that um, all these single children, they have one father and one mother. And they have two grandfathers and two uh, grandmothers. But they have no aunts, they have no nephews, they have no nieces, no uncles, no cousins, no, nothing. They are all self-centered. So that, that whole social fabric of that country has changed mm -hmm. dramatically. I cannot imagine that these people are going to overtake US. And when you look at US, I think that US is in a complete mess at the moment, but you can never underestimate these, these guys. Yeah? Mm -hmm. um, all the big uh, companies still are created first in US. Yeah? Uh, there are also very big companies in, in, in Europe and in China. I, I, I do not dispute that, but it's always US that comes up with these things. And look, in example, at that stuff with that vaccine. That, uh, that, that vicious uh, virus. The Americans and the Europeans, they came up with, uh, with, with vaccines that somehow seem to work. China apparently is still struggling. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like, that, that's, that's, my, that's my view on this. Mm -hmm. But now let's go back to the, uh, to the presentation, um, if you want. Uh, just so in, in a summary, um, what I um, have been explaining to you, or let's say uh, attempted to explain to you, is uh, these mental models. Mm -hmm. And so, insofar, I made one little mistake. I told you that I'm going to teach you four mental models now, mm -hmm. but that's wrong. I'm going to teach you three mental models. I already have explained to you two mental models. One is how does the world economy work? So that, that, that's a slide with all these cubes, the, the blue ones and then the, the gray ones and the two arrows. Everything is steered towards um, final consumption. Yeah? So that's one mental model. And now, now that you know that, you can figure out where exactly do I belong in this space. If you're a movie actor, then you're very close to the blue squares, okay? Because your movie, when it's made, people watch it, it's consumed. When you grow, uh, say, um, whatever crop in your garden or your, you do mining, then you're at the very bottom, yeah? So that's the, you can figure out a little bit where, where you are with that one. The next mental model is the model of value. 
Okay, value is subjective. Some people like this, other people do not like that. Okay, les goûts et les couleurs ne se discutent pas. The three next mental models that I'm going to explain is what happens in sales. Yeah? Uh, where do profits come from? And then the last one is who is the real boss of your company? Yeah? And by the way, if you're an entrepreneur, it's not you. It's not the stock market, right? So it's not the investor, okay? So uh, these, uh, the next three mental models will be about um, what happens in sales, um, where do profits come from, and um, who is the boss of the company? So let's go to the next slide. And so the next slide is, um, I have two balloons, a red one and a blue one. And I have that little drawing of supply and demand. Because when you think about, uh, economics you always think about supply and demand and then these economists they love they have these two lines one line goes up the other goes down the line that goes up that's the uh, the supply line the one that goes down that's the demand line if prices are <clears throat> uh, high people have less demand if prices are low people have higher demand uh, the inverse is true with suppliers if prices are high, they will look forward to supply with a lot of things, etc. And where these two lines cross, that's where economists say we have an equilibrium. Yeah. And there is nothing wrong with these two lines, um, because uh, these two lines were created in around 1890 by a man named Marshall uh, in, uh, in Cambridge University. So there is nothing wrong with that. But these economists, they use it as a model. And they say now the the, uh, the economy is in equilibrium when these two lines cross. But when you do business, okay, and you transact, say, a building, or you go to a supermarket, you never walk around there with a little chart of supply and demand curves. It's rubbish, right? And you will never go and tell your boss, uh, how was the business this year? Perfect, boss. The company is in full equilibrium. I mean, hello, life, the real world doesn't work like that. There is no such thing as equilibrium. Yeah? Um, so, but yet there is something very important that you can learn from that supply and demand graph. And that is the little dot where these two lines cross. Yeah? That is where the, the, the real deal is actually done, where the, the buying and the selling trades place. Yeah? And so, what takes place there is what you see on the next slide. That is an element of double inequality. So I've mentioned here the dirty word inequality, because right now we are all talking about equality, uh, equality between everybody, etc. There is no such thing as equality. Um, there is inequality. I'm not saying that equality is, is, is a bad thing. It's simply some sort of, sadly, it's an utopia. Okay. Um, some people are very good at playing tennis, others are bad at playing tennis. Some people are very good at becoming actors, others will never make it to become an actor. We have all different talents and we can all do different things. And in sales, what happens in sales, you have something that's called double inequality of value. And what that, how that works, and that works in every sales process, and that's an important mental model, because many people say, well, I don't like to do sales because it's cheating and uh, it's, it's a dishonest job. But what happens in every sales is, remember, value is subjective. Les goûts et les couleurs ne se discutent pas. Taste and colors is not open for, for, uh, for discussion. So to give you an example, I have two Lego bricks here. Um, 
a red one and a blue one. Yeah. For um, purposes of visibility, I use bigger Lego bricks, a red one, uh, sorry, a blue one and a red one, right? Now, just imagine that my favorite color is blue. That's my favorite color. And I'm, I meet someone in the street who has a blue brick. I myself, uh, my second favorite color is red. And I happen to have in my pocket a red brick. Okay. And these are Lego bricks, so they are exactly the same. Okay. The only difference is the color. Okay. And colors is subjective. So if I meet that person, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, you have a blue brick. I have a red brick. I am going to give you my red brick. Can you give me your blue brick in return? Yes, thank you very much. So the two of us, what we do is we increase our value. Yeah? I am happy to buy that stuff because what I get is to me worth more than the stuff that I give up. And the other partner on the other side, for him or for her, it's exactly the same. And that is exactly what happens in every sales process. And that's a very important thing. And once you know that, then you can use that to build up your marketing programs, uh, to uh, look at the innovation you have to do that. So that's a very important mental model um, that is based on value is subjective, which was invented in around 1870, blah, 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 blah. So um, real life examples of this, okay, is um, I have here, um, a slide that's called uh, the Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah? And the Thomas Crown um, Affair is a movie, um, very good movie <clears throat> from the late 60s, I think 1968 or 1969. Um, and the lead character is um, Thomas Crown, Steve McQueen. Yeah? And he's a very cool guy. And uh, so officially in the movie, he went to study an MBA at Harvard. Um, he trades in currencies. He does arbitrage, it's a very successful guy. <clears throat> it's also a very good movie. Um, watch the original movie, don't watch the remake. The remake um, is, is not so good. The remake is with Pierce Brosnan, ex-James uh, Bond actor. It's not so good. You watch the original movie. And the movie starts with a scene uh, where Steve McQueen, uh, Thomas Crown, he sells his office building, one of his office buildings. So he sits at a table, and this is a picture at, uh, where he sits at a table, and it's a classic case of double inequality of value. So what he does is he sits at a table and uh, uh, another person is going to sign the contract to buy the building. And Steve McQueen sits there with his general manager, he sits there with his lawyer, he sits there with his finance guy, he sits there with a whole lot except with a, a graph of supply and demand. That's not lying on the table. The other guy that's going to buy the building, he sits there also with his team. So they come to an agreement, they sign the contract, and then the, the chap that buys the building, he said to, says to Steve McQueen, you sold the building too cheap. And Thomas Crown, Steve McQueen says, no, you pay too much. And so what happens here is a case of double inequality of value. What they do is um, Thomas Crown values the building at less than the amount of money he gets. And the other guy that buys it, he values the same building, the same pile of cement and cables and copper and whatever you know, the windows, as higher than the amount of money he paid. Yeah. So that is what happens in every transaction. And you have also the same thing, uh, like when you, when you go to a supermarket, um, you have $10 in your 
in your uh, pocket, so to speak. And you say, I, what, what shall I do? Um, I have $10. I need to buy, uh, say, baby powder for my kid, uh, or I'm going to buy a bottle of whiskey. Okay. Uh, eventually, you decide, uh, you know what, as a good father, let's, let's buy a bottle of whiskey. No, I'm just joking. Let's buy uh, the baby powder. So basically, what you do is the supermarket, they have all these products on their shelves, and they ask you, um, is this baby powder to you worth more than $10? Because to us, it's not. When you go to the cashier, please give the 10 bucks uh, because we value your $10 more than the baby powder we just tell you. So that double inequality of value, um, that is what takes place in every form of the sales process. It also takes place in employment. You hire someone, that person that works for you, his energy, time, whatever he does for you, is not as valuable as the amount of money he gets from you at the end of the month. If you say, come and work for me and I pay you $5 a month, this person is going to say, thanks, but no thanks. I prefer to sit on my sofa and watch Netflix. If you say, hey, um, really, I pay you 100000 a month. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm ready for you. I will do for you everything what I can. So that is also double inequality of value. It takes place everywhere. That's a principle that comes from economics. Which brings us to the, to the next mental model, which is where do profits come from? Um, many people think that profits is uh, something that your 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 accountant or your bookkeeper or your financial manager or your CEO they come up and they calculate and say, "Oh, this is a profit." That's wrong. Profit is a product of the mind. Yeah. Um, profit is a profit product of the mind of the entrepreneur, and the entrepreneur he goes there and he says, "Okay, I'm going to create a business or I'm going to create a new product." You never know whether it is going to work or not. And what you do is you just pay people up front, your suppliers, your employees, your R&D, whatever, you pay all that money up front, and then they produce something, they make it, and then you market it, and then you hope that, that you can make money out of it. Remember that cup of coffee that I have here? There. Um, if I want the customers want to pay $5 for it, I better make sure that I can produce it at $3. Yeah. So what is profit? Um, the profit as you see it um, is the difference between B and C. B is the amount of money that you receive. C is the amount of money that you pay to your suppliers. Yeah. B is what you get from your customers. C is what you pay to your suppliers. Yeah. The difference is your profit. Yeah. What's, what's, what's A and B? A is the value that you give to your customers. Yeah? And B is the amount of money that you get in return. Yeah? Remember, uh, there's double inequality of value. So people that buy from you, they give you the amount of B, but they see what, what, you, what they get from you, they see the value as A. Likewise, it goes also on the other side, C and D. The people that work for you, the suppliers that give money to you, uh, to, to sell you computer chips or to sell you coffee beans, whatever it is, they see the value uh, of that as D, and that's why they give it to you, but they are interested in C, the money that they get from you. So both your suppliers, they are happy to supply to you, as well as your customers, they are happy to buy from you. 
condition that is on a voluntary basis, right? So it is, it has to come on a voluntary basis on both sides. You can't put a gun to someone's face and say, like, is it a godfather? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. It doesn't work like that. Huh? So it has to be on a voluntary basis, which means that if a company makes tons of profit, that means, like I what Apple does, a scandalous day, we need to punish these guys. Why should you? Because nobody forces you to buy that iPhone. People buy these iPhones because they love it. And the other people in China, they make all of or Taiwan, they make all these microchips. They love it because, hey, they, they, they have a good deal. And it's Apple that comes up with that idea to say, hey, guys, um, if we put this together and that together, and then we combine it with this, then we make profit. That's why profit is a product of the mind. And it's only at the end of the year or the end of the quarter that your CFO, your financial manager, your accountant, your bookkeeper, whatever you name that person, will calculate the difference between B and C. But the real profit comes from the mind of the entrepreneur. Which brings us to the, to the last one, to the last slide. Um, who is the boss of your company? And so I put here, uh, I, have, I have three slides here to quickly go through that. Um, Richard Branson, famous, famous person, um, he has a quote to say, clients do not come, come first, employees come first. If you take care of employees, they will take care of the clients. I completely disagree with that. Of course, you have to treat your employees well. You have to treat them with respect. If you don't pay them well, they will go and start working for somebody else. But clients, customers are the ones that pay the bills. Yeah? So it, it, the guy at, at, that you see in the top corner, um, that's the, the, the fat boy from North Korea, Kim Jong, whatever, he treats his employees very well. The people that work directly for him, they have all the luxury products that, that they can imagine. I am I'm very sure of that. But yet that country that works like, like BS, so to speak, that, that country doesn't simply doesn't work because there are no entrepreneurs allowed. Yeah? So you have to treat your employees well, but clients are the most important thing in your company. And that is what um, this economist on the next slide, Ludwig von Mises from the Austrian school, he says, the consumers are the bosses in the capitalist economy, in the free market economy. They produce, they decide what, sh what should be produced when and where. And these consumers, these are the guys that are on that slide from mental model number one, how does world economy work? <coughs> These are the guys on the blue squares. Okay. If the people decide not to drink coffee anymore, the whole coffee producing industry will collapse. So consumers are the bosses in the company. The clients of your company are the bosses. And so he adds, they are not easy bosses. They make poor men rich and rich men poor. Remember, um, in 2005, the market leaders in mobile phones, that was uh, Nokia, um, Blackberry, and maybe another another company. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Apple came up with that iPhone, which was a phone without buttons. That was very expensive. If you dropped it, uh, it broke, and it had a lousy battery life. Okay. And so Nokia and Blackberry, they were laughing at it. Say, so, uh, it's much more expensive, crappy battery life. Uh, it drops, breaks. Yet people loved these iPhones and then later the, the, the smartphones. The result is Nokia and BlackBerry 
they were wiped out of the markets in one or two years time. The clients, the consumers, they are no easy bosses. They make poor men rich and rich men poor. Yeah? And so the last slide um, is also um, important to understand that entrepreneurs, they are instrumental in making an economy better. So what you do as an entrepreneur, one little step at a time, you contribute to the economy. Yeah? Um, so they steer the ship, as he writes. Yeah? Um, but they cannot say we steer there or there or there. Okay? Um, they are just the steer men or steer women on the ship. Okay? And they have to obey the orders of the captain. And the captain of the ship, that is the customer, the client. If you don't produce what your customer wants, sorry, you're out of business. And so to finish off, um, uh, recently or a couple a while ago, HP had a new uh, CEO, I think a year or two years ago. Okay. And when that guy came on board, what he said is he says, you know what, um, thanks for giving me the job, I'm the CEO. Uh, what I am going to do is I'm going to create value for the shareholders. And I'm going to restructure the company and I'm going to fire 10% of the people. So like, all right, so I think HP has 50,000 people or 60,000 people, I don't know. So, so one in 10 will be, will be let go. So that must be exciting too, to work in that company. But nowhere did this guy say, I'm going to create value for the customer. He never say that. I'm going to create exciting products. He never said that. So, and basically that it would be the same if you relate that as an entrepreneur to your business. And just to finish off, to say, I have people working for me and I am going to create shareholder value, which means is I'm the, share, I'm the shareholder of my company. You know what? I'm going to create value for myself. You better work hard, you lousy employees. So make sure that people buy my stuff that, that you produce so that make great profit doesn't work like that. Your employees will hate it. Your customers will hate it. Yeah? So you have to create value for your customers. And the real bosses of your company are the customers. Yeah? So in a nutshell, you now know how the world economy works. Okay, That's one mental model. Um, you know what value is. Value is subjective. Yeah? It's in the mind of people. And everybody has a different opinion of that. You know how that relates to sales, that double inequality of value. Steve McQueen, the Thomas Crown affair. Okay. Um, you know where profits come from. Yeah? Profits are a product of the mind. That also relates to value, subjective sales, etc. And then you now know, hopefully, who the real boss in your company is. And if you're an entrepreneur, the bad news is it's not you, it's your customers. So that's it. So that's how um, I explain to my clients uh, in a snapshot what um, economics is and how that's, uh, these mental models can help you to make better business decisions. Um, I have a gift that um, uh, if you want, um, if you want to understand productivity, because I mentioned something about productivity, what it is, where it comes from, how to measure it, etc. Uh, drop me an email. Uh, you have my email address, I believe. Just write in the, in the header, um, in the title, productivity, and I will send you a four or five uh, piece of write-up of what productivity is, what it is not, etc., etc. A little hint, I, I use examples of the Beatles, 
uh, I use examples of um, switching on and off the light, uh, a pair of scissors, et cetera, et cetera, so that you really understand what productivity is and what it is not. Okay, thanks a lot. Um, uh, Jennifer, uh, thank you very much for the invitation here. Thanks a lot, Bart. This, this is a lot. Thank you so okay. much for the generosity of your time and the generosity of your knowledge. I learned a lot today. Now, um, you ended with these three slides. Now, my question is, you mentioned that the, the entrepreneur is not the not the captain of the ship but ultimately it's a it's the consumer so that gives the the entrepreneur i if i shall say several uncertainties so yep. in that case what is the most important thing that an entrepreneur can do to make sure that everything in the market economy is in if not everything most is in his or her favor Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, you you touched the point of um, uncertainty, yeah, and that's an important word. Um, in, I have an online program on, um, that goes full blast on uh, economics and entrepreneurs, and one of the mo modules is about uncertainty. And the future is uncertain. You never know, and that is essential in entrepreneurship if everybody would know that it works and that people are going to buy it then everybody would be rich you never know which is why an entrepreneur is actually a speculator you speculate and you think you look around uh, you use these mental models like as what charlie munger does uh, mental models that i gave you uh, there are many other mental models and then you sit there and it's like you know what i think it's going to work yeah, I'm going to try it. And then you cross fingers and you hope for the best. So that, that profit is actually um, the reward that you get for speculation. You never can calculate whether what the chances are that your business is going to work. Impossible. You, there's no statistics on that. It's just like, shall it work? Shall it not work? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. Starbucks. Uh, Everybody sells coffee. So this man, I forgot his name. I'm going to come up with a new concept. Hey, bingo, it works. The iPhone, nobody knew whether people would buy that. And Steve Jobs made many mistakes previously, launched products that never worked. So this is the kind of stuff that they don't teach in MBA programs. They teach you how to make a business plan. Um, they teach you to say, oh, the market is 10 billion. If we can have 1% or 2% of that, or we have, give me money, uh, venture capitalists, then we both are rich. It doesn't work like that. The question that a VC will ask is, what value do you have? Why would people buy from you? Why do you go to this market that's 2 billion? Um, everybody's sitting there. Don't maybe come up with something new. That is where the real money is made. So the, the good news is, you never know. You have to take the risk. The bad news is you never know. You have to take the risk. Okay. So one last question before we let you go. So from what I'm hearing, um, you mentioned twice that profit is in the mind only. So people buy the perceived value. So that's that. That's that. Um, uh, tell 
or say or explain why some people they offer a lot of value but they seem to be unknown while some people um if i may if i may be specific for example in social media when you look at so-called influencers i think in a in a sense they are they are considered as entrepreneurs because they sell their own brand so some entrepreneurs when you look at them they bring forth a lot of value but they have minimal number of followers or subscribers whereas there are some videos they don't even make sense you know they don't bring value to anyone um but they have a lot of followers and subscribers and of course with that comes money so does that say that whoever has the the bigger marketing machinery or pr machinery wins the day because of the perceived value yes yes so um it's essential um that you understand marketing and to understand marketing and that's also part of what I do is you need to realize that people are not rational. So of course we think that we are rational, um, but we are not rational. So just to give away something about that, okay. Um, you have ends and means. Yeah? If um, I want to achieve something, so I want to, my what I want to achieve is um, I want to go and say smoke a cigarette, okay. It, it, it's a bad thing to do, so don't smoke. And if you smoke, quit, whatever, okay? and don't start smoking. Um, but everybody knows it's bad, and yet people do it. So it's not rational to smoke. It is not. And people know it, yet people do it. But the way people go about smoking is what they do is they say, OK, I need to have money to do that. So how do I get money to satisfy that end of enjoying that cigarette? So the means that we employ to make something or to get something, these means are usually very rational. But what we end to achieve is not always rational. Sometimes it is, sometimes it is not. And so you have to understand how the brain works. And once you do that, then you can apply that to your, to your marketing and you can apply that to create value, to, to tell your customers, okay, this thing, is more valuable than that. My product is more valuable than, than my competitor's product. So these are all mental models that you use, that you can use from, from economics and implement that in stuff like marketing, innovation, strategy, etc. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bart. I believe that a lot of people resonated with today's episode. Now, how can our viewers stay in touch with you through um, social media? How can they follow and learn more about your work? Okay, so um, what I do is um, uh, I, I work, I contact my my, uh, my, my clients and my, my prospects uh, through email. And so the, the way I, my, my business model works is um, if you're on my email list, I send you an, um, once or twice a week an email um, about something like, say, this is inflation, or this is a tip on marketing, or this is something about profit, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, or this is why the recession is is coming up. Um, so there's nothing for sale, but uh, I share a lot of information with you. Yeah? Um, then what I also do is um, I give also free webinars um, on topics like um, the the next webinar will be on socialism why socialism doesn't work okay so i'm going to do that on on may the first labor day and then i explain in 
it's not a mudslinging stuff. It's like simply saying, this is why that thing doesn't work in a logical way. It has to do with prices, by the way. And so another thing that I do is I also sell my products. Then I say, okay, guys, um, now I'm going to sell something. Um, and the way I do that is um, I launch the product and I give typically three free classes. And I say, hey, up front, I say, hey, guys, and now I'm going to sell something. I'm going to sell something about how to understand capital or how to understand um, entrepreneurship. And I say, but here I give three free classes. Okay, you will learn a lot. Mm -hmm. And after these three free classes, then I will make you an offer to work with me uh, to understand more about it. If you want, great, uh, welcome. If not, I'm sure that you will have learned some stuff on these three free classes and hopefully till the next time. So that's my business model. Um, I show up on, um, uh, on this email uh, list. So um, you have my email address that's on my slides, okay. Um, maybe you type in my email address again, okay. Um, and I also uh, am visible or I hope I'm visible on LinkedIn. Um, I will start venturing also in Facebook and in uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, but at the moment, I don't do that yet. That's part of my own marketing future that I'm doing. Okie dokie. So, uh, but again, if you um, want to know something more about productivity, um, where that comes from, how you can use a pair of scissors to make sense out of that stuff, out of these statistics of productivity, like labor productivity, total factor productivity, capital productivity, why it's important. So there's a lot of valuable things in there and there's a lot of rubbish in there, right? So if you want to know that, let me know and I'll um, drop me an email titled productivity and later this afternoon or tomorrow morning, I'll send you that's five or uh, four pages PDF file on that one. Mm -hmm. Value for sure, but Ravish, I highly doubt it with the value that you have just shared with us, Bart. So thank you again, Bart, thank for you. dropping in on the show. You can hop off now. Uh, okay, my great pleasure. I'm logging off. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you, dear viewers. If you love today's show, let us know in the comments section from 1 to 10, with 10 being the highest. How do you um how do you rate today's episode? Let us know in the comments section. And also, if you found value in today's uh, episode, we would really appreciate it if you could share it with your colleagues, with your family and loved ones. And also, be with us next Thursday, May 5, same time, same digital live stream channel. So have a good uh, rest of your day and evening or evening. Thank you, everyone. See you next Thursday.